You're listening to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rappaport. On today's show, food director Carla Lolly Music sits down with OG chef Nancy Silverton. Nancy is the chef co-owner of Moza in Los Angeles, along with Mario Vitale and Joe Bastianich. Uh, Chispaca, little cool grill restaurant next door. Carla and Nancy talk about her new book, Moza at Home, and holiday entertaining. Here we go. Carla and Nancy. Nancy Silverton, it is such a joy and a pleasure to have you here. And it's lovely to be here. <laughs> uh, I ate at Campanile back in the day. So my you're hu- dating yourself, by the way. Th- exactly. <laughs> I was young. You're not 21. I know that now. <laughs> no, no, ma'am. Um, and my husband also grew up in California. And when, when I told him I was interviewing you, he was like, man, Campanile, man, that was just it was so cool there. Uh, and my parents told a story of being there with friends you know, in it, whenever, eight, late 80s? nineteen. It opened in 1989. Okay, so right around then, and he, there was one night where they drank a lot of wine and grappa and everything else, and on the way, and they had a great time, and on the way out, the uh, their server said to them, hey guys, don't walk any near any open flames. <laughs> they were literally on fire. Anyway, so it's a pleasure to have you. You're a legend, I would say. Do you think that when you wake up in the morning? No, I do not think that. And I think that's because, you know, look, at I'm one of the elder statespersons, right? I'm not 21, by the way, either. So I think that, uh, but with that, with your experience comes just an enormous amount of influence. Between matzah, matzah to go, pizzeria. Kispaka. Kispaka, which we did an amazing story a couple years, uh, yes. large format. And I think that was actually shot in your backyard. Right. Right. And I remember I was reading the book. You were talking about the pergola and the long table. I was like, oh, right. Um, so I want to talk about your new book. Um, and you it's not your first. It's no, fourth? you know, it's actually my ninth. Ninth. But my seventh that I've authored. I've been the author myself. So two of the books in in that collection I uh, did with my ex-husband. Gotcha. So this is my seventh, what, personal book or okay. only book? And or? then and you did give a lot. I thought this was really beautiful and very generous of you, a lot of credit to your executive chef, uh, Liz, who, right. yeah, is mentioned throughout the book. So it really felt like a collaboration as well. Yes. And one of the things I loved reading this is that, you know, at Bon Appetit, we love working with chefs. And one of the things that we have learned over the years is that uh, chefs with ama- who have amazing restaurants, a lot of them just don't cook at home. You know, a lot of them just don't have the time to cook Exactly. At home. Yeah. So when you're working 60 or 70 hours a week, cooking for a living, when you get home, it's actually like the last thing you want to do. Right. And it's also too convenient to just bring already cooked food home from the restaurant. So it, and yeah. is that something that, is that how you lived for a long time? Yes. And it wasn't until I started spending my summers in Italy that I had all the time in the world to not only cook, but to cook slowly. Mm-hmm. But also what I really enjoyed was the solitude of cooking by myself. Interesting. Because the book is so heavily about entertaining and about this incredibly, it sounds like a Dinner party at your house is just a party, really. Yes, but uh, in the preparation, the, the phase of it, that's when I really enjoy waking up early in the morning, the day of a party, 
and I had huge, or I have huge parties when I'm in Italy. Okay. Um, I get everyone in the village. Wow. To come over, right? And, and your I house love it. is in. It's Umbria? in Umbria, okay. a little town called Panicale. Uh, and uh, since I've been going there, I've been entertaining that way. Large groups, food very similar to what is in the book, meaning the food is served family style. Mm-hmm. So large platters mm-hmm. of food, that, all of which can be eaten at room temperature. Right. Uh, yeah, I thought that was very such a smart and interesting way to look at a spread. So whether you're entertaining under your pergola or in the Italian countryside in the summer, this is a strategy that works kind of well, for everyone. Yeah, it's a strategy that works for everyone because if you're hosting a party, right. it's the only way that you can actually be part of your party. And I always tell the story of women in my mother's generation who would have a dinner party, and they were usually much smaller, mm-hmm. a little bit more formal. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone sat at the at the table, and whoever that host was was in the kitchen the entire time, plating the food, making sure that everything came to the table hot. And my mom would stick her head into the dining room right. and ask, does everyone have what you need? And right. they would all say, no, we need you. But- exactly. That resonated with me so much because my mother was very much the same style of cook. And for her, when the open kitchen became all the rage and home design, you know, and architecture was all about right. opening up and having this open kitchen, she was like, hell no, <laughs> stay out. Like the rule in our house and especially at holidays is, you know, family only in the kitchen. <laughs> so, and when I show up, I'm hosting, um, Christmas this year, uh, but when I show up at her house for the Christmas Eve feast and we do Feast of Seven Fishes, you would not even know that there had been cooking going on there all day. It's like, <laughs> what? what is – it's like all put together. There's the smells. table is set. There's definitely good smells. <laughs> okay. the, sea, the cold seafood salad is somewhere visible. <laughs> but the, the kinds of meals that you describe in the book, you talk about having everybody come over – and kind of doling out jobs. Yeah, but they're not jobs usually that have to do with preparing the food. Got it. It might be setting the table. It might be getting the wine. It might be sending somebody to get the cheese, right? So those kinds of tasks, it might be carrying the platters downstairs. But as far as cooking, preparing the food, I really love to do that by myself. And even and even still, even with these big groups, what's the biggest... What's the most amount of people you've had in your house? In Italy, it's definitely 60, and I know that wow. by uh, I make sure that I have proper place settings for as many people as I think will come by. Got it. I'm not a fan of paper plates. You know, everyone mm-hmm. loves to say, oh, it's just so easy, and you can just throw them away. But I, I really like a properly set table. And so I would just sort of add to that collection. At first, it may have been 25. And then the next summer, I would meet five more friends. So I would go out and buy five more dishes. And it kind of went that way. I think I do have enough for 75. Wow. That's amazing. And that's more than one day's worth of cooking. It's more than one day's worth of cooking, but not much more, maybe like a day and a half. Because the food in the in my book, too, is very simple cooking using very simple methods right. of Roasting, right. braising, right. maybe a little sautéing, but that's it. 
So there were a couple of um, tips that I thought were really cool. First of all, going through and sort of seeing there are some tools and techniques that definitely repeat through. And one of the things um, that I noticed was that the ingredients themselves were very, very approachable. So things like chicken thighs um, come up. There's a whole chapter on burgers, which I loved. Um, There's... Oh, iceberg lettuce. Can we talk about iceberg lettuce? This is I something love iceberg lettuce. I love iceberg lettuce. Iceberg lettuce gets such a bad, yep. bad rep. Why? Well, because I think when um, when everybody embrace like mescaline salad right. and rucola and those kinds of lettuces, they sort of poo-pooed, right, iceberg. And iceberg became a lettuce that was um, maybe just sort of left to people that – we're not foodies, right? right? Um, but it was a lettuce that I have never given up. And, I mean, you know, when you talk about crunchy right. and refreshing, yep. nothing beats iceberg. And when you talk about like a great chopped salad, yes. iceberg has to be a component in that. How do you feel about shredding iceberg? Shredding? Um, shredding to be eaten right away. But if you shred it too finely, then it does not hold up. And that was another element that I tried to really get across in my book is that if you're going to be entertaining for large groups, then you need to be able to choose items, mainly in the produce, let's say, that are sturdy and will hold up to a long line, a long buffet line, or the casualness of a party such as that, where people go back for seconds and thirds, Mm -hmm. or people that couldn't quite be there at 7 but get there around 8.30, you want everything to last. So I try to uh, avoid fragile ingredients and a mescaline salad. Just dies on on cue. Yeah, once it's it's dressed, its shelf life is what? Three to five minutes and that's it. Right. There was Uh, another salad uh, technique that I had never really thought about but made so much sense sort of seeing it put into words that you always choose a wide, shallow dish for serving salad so that the weight of the salad itself doesn't crush it. Right. Which makes, totally intuitively makes so much sense, but never really thought about it. Right. Yeah. Um, And it seemed like serving platters, and you talked about having all this serviceware, is as important almost, you're thinking about the presentation almost as much as the actual menu. Yeah, without a doubt. And so I'm very, both in Italy and in my home in Los Angeles, if you start to open my cabinets, uh, I have a lot of platters. Got it. You know, because I got to have exactly the right size, the right depth, mm-hmm. right? So that the food looks appealing, uh, but looks plentiful without right. being crowded. So. Mm-hmm. And you talked about having a collection of of flatware, all sort of, or, or tableware in the same general color scheme, right. right? So you can keep building, but that's it's not like you have the entire Janori Right. You know, pattern or <laughs> exactly. whatever. Yeah. Um, so it's, it feels approachable. So another thing I noticed was in the book, it seemed like there are a lot of restaurant recipes, but there are a lot of things that are taken from from your, the restaurants, but then not all of them are menu items. It seemed like quite a bit was inspired by Staff family meals. Meal. Yeah. yeah, the, right. The and chicken, why? The so rice, why? The... Yeah, exactly. So why is it that when chefs are cooking for each other, they cook family meal, right? And it's so different than the food that you cook for the guests in the restaurant. Um, how is it, do you feel like it's those family meals that translate to the home recipe? 
Well, self, several of them certainly do. In my case, um, having this new book, it was a way of introduce, introducing non-Italian food because my restaurants are pretty much Italian. Right. And so that's where the focus is. So when I put in some salsas and some guacamole and some overnight cooked pork, these are definitely coming from either staff meals or staff parties. Yeah, that Sal's um, roast pork sounds amazing. So this is a, can you talk about that recipe a little bit? Because it's firstly, it's so simple. So simple. simple. Yeah. You're just seasoning it, right? But you've got the fat cap on, which seems like a key. Well, always the fat cap is always the key. The fat. <laughs> we all know that. But but also, yeah, because it insulates it later on. But it's simply just seasoned, right? Right. Uh, a day ahead. And it was quite a bit of cayenne. Yeah, pepper. Smoked paprika. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Some it, a little chili, you know, things like that. And then uh, it's uh, put in a pot, right, and slow cooked for anywhere from seven to nine hours. Right. So this is really you could go to sleep, yeah, and wake up, and your 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 dinner for your entertaining party the next day is it's done. ready. And and you talked about the as the fat cap renders the spices and the seasonings actually based, right? It's the meat itself, yeah. You know, and again, that was that way of uh, keeping like that blanket to keep that pork up to temperature, mm-hmm. right? But also to keep it juicy, right? Um, another thing that interested me just when I picked up the book was the fact that the cover is a vegetarian side, Mm -hmm. carrots and farro and herbs, and it looks beautiful, but I was for an entertaining book. How, how much of a, was there any push pull with your publisher about having just vegetarian uh, side on the on the cover of the book? Well, you know, it's funny because there, we looked at several different choices, Mm -hmm. right? And when I saw this one, I wasn't that crazy about it because right now what is uh, sort of very a contemporary way of restaurants that are going to, say, grain bowls, right? right? So I thought, look, at this they're going to think it's a grain bowl book. Um, so there was a little bit of a discussion about that, but they were really set on that cover. And quite frankly, what's so terrific about uh, the book is that there are so many vegetable so many. options yes. in this book. It, and that I wasn't really thinking. And then I realized, wow, I am exactly, this could have been a vegetarian book. Because the way the book is is laid out is that I've picked several different proteins. Right. And with that protein are several dishes that would taste good with that protein, not asking you to make them all. To make them all, right. right. And that's really if important. If you're browsing through the table of contents, it can at, at, at right. first be like, oh, classic chef. Like, yeah. there's 19 <laughs> menus, and each of them has 12 dishes right. in them. Um, but it really does come down to a mix and match where every menu is anchored by one kind of protein-forward entree. Right. But if you took that out and served more of the sides, you would make lots of people... Very happy. Very happy. You got to know, I can't stand potlucks. I hate it because there's no focus. Mm-hmm. I hate it that, you know, nothing goes together. Mm-hmm. So you start to pile the different dishes on your plate, no matter how careful you are to keep them separate. Mm-hmm. They start to ooze and they all start to mingle with each other. And so, you know, the strawberry ambrosia <laughs> just ruins the curry chicken, right? right. So this way... I'm saying that if you made one or all of the side dishes that I'm recommending that go with the protein and you 
stirred them all up. Yeah. The whole thing that you just stirred up would taste delicious because they're all flavors. That, that go together. Yeah. Got it. Um, if you were hosting, and I think a lot of our a lot of our listeners are sort of gearing up now for holiday season between Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, New Year's, Hanukkah, and everything else. And that I think for a home cook, they think of as like a great strategy, right? Like I I will get everybody to bring something. It's so much easier. I'm hosting, da 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 da. So if you are going that route. You know how you do talk about being a great boss when you right. have your friends come over. <laughs> Is there any strategy for getting for getting what you want? Sure, you can say, okay, your Christmas or your Hanukkah gift this year is going to be Mozart at home. So uh-huh. you sent it to uh, you send it out to your guests uh, for your potluck and say. This is the chapter I want to cook from, and each of you pick a dish. So there's a post-it note. Unwrap your gift. You'll find a post-it for page 82. (laughs) That's also your assignment. Um, And then when you're scaling up. So so for someone who's reading these, and I think most of them serve six or eight people, but you're going to have 20 or 40, and it's going to be an all-day, you know, Christmas day is going to be just a day of people coming over open house. What is how that's a question we get all the time. How do I scale up? How do I know how much is going to feed each person? What how much food do I need? When you when you scale up, there's a couple things that you have to keep in mind. Um, firstly, I wanted to uh, have each recipe really be like feeds 25, but I think that that's hard. In I, I think that's a hard sell right. in a cookbook, and yes. so that's why I agreed with. Um, with uh, with my publisher that I wouldn't do that. At first, I started out that way, so just to be clear. But when you when you gear up, you have to think of a few things. Is that if you have one dish and it says it serves eight in the book, um, then that would probably mean that you wouldn't exactly times that right. by the people that are coming because you're having more dishes. Right. So that's one thing you've got to do. Another sort of challenge is this. If you're looking at a recipe, so let's say, and it's for, let's say it's for roasted carrots, and I say, you know, uh, put you know, place the carrots on the baking sheet, or whatever. Most likely, if you're going to scale up, it's going to be two baking sheets. Right. So you have to sort of be smart about what you what you think about and how you scale up. But certainly, all of these dishes can be, and in fact, probably since so many of them I have cooked before for parties, I've actually had to do the reverse, right. and I've had to scale down. Scale down. down. I think uh, I, there's a famous we, – we've teased my mom about this probably for three decades. There was one um, dinner party that she did, and she wanted a buffet of desserts. And I think there were 20 people coming over. So she had three or four desserts, and she scaled them all up to serve 20 people. Right. So there was enough dessert there for 80 people. Exactly. And I just remember after <laughs> the dinner was over, there was a bowl of chocolate pudding that I wouldn't, we just laughed and laughed. I mean, we had chocolate pudding in the house for like weeks. So <laughs> right. it was actually right. very happy as a child. It was, this was like the never ending bowl, but it was one of those things like because there were four, not everyone has a full portion of right. everything. Right. And when you are looking at a gallon of chocolate pudding, that becomes abundantly clear. Exactly. So you don't want everything to feed right. those 20 But also people. as a hostess, running out is also just kind of a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, and the dishes that you are suggesting, because they hold well at room temperature, they're also the kinds of things that are not going to have to, you know, like that, that mescaline salad that's just wilted and sad at the end of the night, a lot of these, I think, would hold 
even if you're overly generous. Everything in this book makes great leftovers. Yeah. So the menu, each menu is structured, uh, but the desserts are their own chapter. Right. And I would love to talk about frosting on the side, (laughs) which I had never, never heard of. So what is frosting on the side? Frosting on the side is just exactly what it sounds like. It's frosting that's served on the side. But uh, I came up with this idea because of that that uh, thought of when you have, say, a cake. The two instances that I used this was one for chocolate and one for carrot cake. So let's suppose you're serving a carrot cake. And again, it's buffet style, so everyone's helping themselves. So carrot cakes are traditionally frosted with cream cheese frosting, mm-hmm. which is kind of sticky, right? And the first person that gets that first slice gets a beautiful slice. But after that, it's pretty much of a mess, mm-hmm. right? So I thought about baking this carrot cake in uh, by itself, uh, could bake it in a decorative mold, and then serving a big bowl of the frosting on the side so people could either cut a hunk of cake, break off a hunk of cake, spoon a big dollop of frosting on the side, grab a knife, and just sort of frost it. Frost your own. Frost your yeah. own. Right. <laughs> this is a self-frosting dessert station. That interactiveness right. can be quite enjoyable. And so that lends itself to this frosting on the side where you put as little or none or as much as you want. Or only. Yeah. Perhaps. Or only. Yeah. Or only. I didn't <laughs> I'm think, sure yeah. you had guests were like, <laughs> right. I'll, I'll just, just have the frosting. frosting. Yeah. Right. The burgers. We love to talk about burgers. Right. I worked at Shake Shack for two years Ooh. here in the city. So have, uh, I felt, a, a great affinity for, you know, the, the cast iron skillet mm-hmm. method. But the mustard was a new, because I also, you talked about animal style. I right. always thought that meant wrapping it in a piece of lettuce. So did I. Yeah. I thought that was the gluten-free way to have a burger, which is so L.A. Yeah. Right. No, I always did, too. And uh, until somebody told me that that's not what it is, it is this mustard crust. And it's not something that you necessarily taste. Right. But it gives you that crustiness. And so I it's like just Dijon mustard. Yeah, that you just spread on. Onto the patty. Yeah, and but you can't grill it. So it has to be in a cast iron skin. Okay. But what I like about it especially is I like my burgers super, super, super Black and rare. blue, it sounds yeah. like. Yeah. But and I, also a 25% fat. Yeah, yes. and I like fat. Right. But, uh, but I still like to have that char, which right. is really hard to get. When, when you, you want, want it that rare. Right. But this is, um, I mean, visually, like even in the book when you see it, it yeah. you have to look closely because it looks like, whoa, this yes. looks kind of like a hockey puck and it looks kind of burnt. It's a little craggy. Yeah. There's bits. Yeah. But that also, the, the contrast between the outside texture and the inside right. is so key. Yeah. And being able to get that with juiciness. Right. As well, which the fat helps too. <laughs> but I love that idea. So smearing the mustard on both sides right. and then doing it cast and iron, it. which you could do on a grill, right? Could you put your cast iron yeah, grill, sure. grill, cast iron pan on a grill? Yeah, and oftentimes that's what I'll do is I won't put a pan, but I'll put a griddle, right? A cast iron griddle. And on you a did. Grill. You talked yeah. about that lodge yeah. reversible, which right. is one of our favorite tools right. in the in the test kitchen as well. That reversible grill griddle, which is so great for so many things, like and it's a great size. It's a great size, and I use it. Uh, you know, my uh, skirt steak, things right. like that, that wouldn't fit in a pan. So. And uh, fry bread, the, your olive oil bread ah. as well. Olive oil. 
This is now in our recipes in the magazine. A, a few years ago, we stopped calling for extra virgin olive oil mm. versus regular olive oil. We had meat, you know, how it is when you want to change recipe language at a food right. magazine. It's like 12 people have to get right. in a room and talk about what, how, what are we going to call it? But mm-hmm. I don't know. Are you comfortable with that? So we used to have a few different ways. We would say extra virgin olive oil. We would say best quality olive yeah. oil, which I always... Right. Something about that really irked me or good quality. I mean, I think that, you know, thinking about everyone shopping, like not everybody has all of the options. Mm -hmm. And so at a certain point, we just started calling for olive oil. Mm -hmm. And the thinking was people who use extra virgin, use extra virgin, like people, most people have one one olive oil in their house and that's that's it. And um, but you have a very different idea about olive oil. Well, you know, I use it as seasoning, and that's when I call it a finishing olive oil. And that's when you really have to spend those few extra dollars to get one that is really a finishing sauce. I mean, I have I know a lot of, you know, we finish a lot of food uh, at uh, Moza yeah. uh, with olive oil. That's right. our that's our finishing, again, sauce. And right. Those I lentils, read, the black lentils yeah, with the olive oil the where it's right. Yeah. But how do you know... Because, you know, for most people, the way that they're going to know that it's a high quality finishing oil is because it's going to be in a smaller can and or bottle and it's going to be very expensive. It's not, you know, most places don't let you taste or. Right. So how do you know? And some of them can be very peppery and some can be just super grassy. So what are you looking for? Are you looking for something very rich and buttery? Are you looking for obviously you want it to be extra virgin how do you know when to spend that money? Well, I, you know, there's no sure answer to that. Like, let's switch to uh, a cousin of olive oil only in the sense – cousin only because they're usually seen together. But let's talk about balsamic vinegar. Right. I mean, it's much easier to tell about that. We, we know what the supermarket quality is. Right. Um, and we know that that's going to be, like, you know, under $5 practically. Right. right? And then we have one that's slightly better and has some age on it. And then we have the super expensive that come in the perfume right. size the bottles. Little, tiny right? cruet, yeah. That, so I think it's pretty easy. It, I think olive oil, it's not. And it's more of personal taste. And it's got to be some trial and error unless you can go to places where they actually let you taste it. Right. And there are a lot of places out there, certainly, certainly here in Manhattan, yes. definitely in Los Angeles, but right. there are a lot of uh, uh, grocery stores and um, specialty shops that that do have olive oil tastings. Right. So it's really a matter of really a matter of taste. For myself, I love the new olive oils. Mm-hmm. By the way, the ones that are really harsh. The Oleo I mean, Nuevos. Yeah. yeah. I really love those. Their green, colors are amazing. Those green olive oils. I prefer, and I think probably because. I spent so much time there. I love the olive oils from Tuscany mm-hmm. and uh, and Umbria. You do want to find a olive oil that says that it is a DOP, so mm-hmm. it's you know made, it's grown, produced, uh, pressed, bottled right under a certainly a regimented right. Uh, method, right? And you want to make sure that the olive oil or the uh, olive oil that you're buying is grown and produced in the country that you think you're getting that's it right. with. And so that's many of them are imported now. from Italy, but actually harvested wherever. Yeah, exactly. They could be from Turkey right. or Greece or right. you don't know. Right. Um, and then the middle of, so that's your very, very high end for drizzling over 
roasted vegetables or finishing a salad. And then in the middle of the road is sort of uh, an extra virgin for sauces. Right. And salad dressings. Right. right? Where uh, where there's other things going on. You know, if you've got a lot of lemon and a lot of shallots and black pepper, you know, it's going to get lost with that high quality finishing olive oil. So that's just a extra virgin olive oil. Mm-hmm. Kind of a mid-range. The third olive oil, or the yeah, that we'll just call olive oil, like you're talking about, is one that maybe you will be just cooking with, you know? And you really don't have to cook many things with olive oil. You could use a uh, uh, neutral oil because once that oil— Like any vegetable oil, like grapeseed or— Exactly, because once that oil hits the pan, Mm -hmm. right, and hits the heat, its characters—the characteristics are going to change. You won't even taste the difference anyway. Right, right. Um, and I think a lot of people don't realize that sautéing in olive oil is could be a waste, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like spend the money right. where it where it counts. Um, and even a yeah, I don't know if you can't get a decent olive oil, you're probably better off with just a grapeseed or something else neutral. Yep. So kind of gearing up for the holidays again, and a lot of people are hosting this, and there's a lot of agita that goes along with that. Um, it seemed like the style, the, the feeling that you want to get across in your gathering is almost as important as the gathering itself, right? So how much of the menu is informed by the way you want it to feel? You talked about being on the buffet line and chatting and picking things up with your hands. Um, is there ever a time that you do kind of go back to the cooking that was more your mom's style with that kind of formality or is that strictly... No, you know, because I am such a fan of large parties mm-hmm. and because, you know, I start to put a guest list together, right? And I might think like, well, this year there's really only going to be eight. Let's have eight. And then I start feeling guilty about mm-hmm. all the people that have come to past parties that I didn't, that I'm not including, that I now need to include. So it always ends up being, I mean, a minimum of 25 people. I mean, never less than that. And when you get to uh, that, you know, larger group, to me, this is the only way, way to it cook. makes sense. Yeah. Right. But I think you want, I think what's nice about it is that you don't want your guests ever to think how hard you really worked at the party, right? So I think it's important for everything to look sort of effortless. Right. Like, oh, I just threw this together. Right? No big deal. <laughs> yeah. And how far ahead of party time will you go and... Do your own, like, your, you know, take a shower, get into your party clothes. Do you cook the whole time, like, ready to go so you can just go straight through? Or do you allow time at the end? Well, I try to. You know, I'm very methodical. I sit down um, early in the morning, and I may have done some things ahead of time. You, I may have washed the lettuces. I may have, maybe I have peeled the carrots. I've done maybe a few things ahead of time. But pretty much it's that day. And I get up very early in the morning. And I write out a prep list. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very important because it's really so um, rewarding to start crossing things off. The best. You know? That's why I make lists. <laughs> yeah, right. So I can cross things yeah, off. Yeah, I love yeah. to cross things off. So I have my list. And as I'm making my list, I can pretty much tell how long I need it'll take me to do it. I want to prepare for that shower at the end. Right. Um, so I back that out. Yeah. Um, and I always want to sweep the kitchen 
So it looks like your mom's kitchen. Totally. Right? Take out the garbage. <laughs> Take yeah. out the garbage. Take out the garbage. Empty but, the dishwasher. Those are my two right. my two other things, you know? But I don't always make it, I got to say. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes there's been many a party where I'm still in my apron. I mean, in Italy, it's fine because it's so hot there. Right. It wouldn't really matter because you'd start, you'd look disheveled right. five minutes after you take a shower anyway. Right. So Most really of my matter. home entertaining, I'm I hear the doorbell ring in the shower. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, well, it's a good thing there's somebody else there to answer the door because kind of coming down with wet hair and, hey. But I do. I want everything kind of done so that you can – people will always say, how can I help? And it's like, oh, you know, pick these parsley leaves. It's really all that's left. Um, We're going to go into our lightning round now. This is just an either or kind of a speed round. So Uh you just – just don't think about it, you know? Just like, just just got to go with your gut on these ones. Is this right? like a game? Kind of, yeah. Oh, but it's games. also, it's not really a game. It's also, these are really serious questions. For example. Oh. Okay. We can just start with it, it. one that I really like. Rice or pasta? Neither. No. <laughs> there's not that much pasta in the book, actually. None, because, because there's doing one pasta cold for a, pasta right, dish, right? Because pasta yeah. for 20 people is not, right. not something you want to be doing. But again, it's temperature- Sensitive. Totally. I mean, pasta, except for the cold pasta that I put in the book. Right. Or other cold pastas. Pasta needs to be eaten hot. Super hot. Yeah. So no, for this book, yeah. it'll be rice when you said pasta or rice. But what about for life? For oh, you? For life? In your life. It would probably be pasta. Pasta. Yeah. Okay. Pie or cake? Ah, uh, pie. Pie. What's your go-to? Which? Pie kind of pie? Yeah, if you had to choose wow, one pie. you name it, but probably apple pie. I mean... What about... Well, this is... I think I know the answer. Grilled cheese or burger? That also is a tough one, but it would be burger. It would be it burger. It would be burger, but I do love grilled cheese. Who doesn't? I mean, you know, just never, never a bad idea. Melted, yeah, melted yeah. cheeses. Um, butter or olive oil? Oh, wow, these are getting really rough. I know, it's really hard. This one's hard. Wow. I'll tell you why it's hard, because if you were to ask me the next question, which would not really be a question because it's actually, it's not an either or. It's what would your last meal type of thing be? Oh, well, great. It would definitely be a crusty baguette and some French sweet butter and some salt, without a doubt. However, same. Do you get a beverage with that? Red wine. Okay. Oh, wow. (laughs) But if I had to choose between the two, I think I'd have to say olive oil. If you were just going to stop one thing forever. Finishing olive oil. Yeah, because then the butter you'd have to. I know. Butter's tough at room temperature, too. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I don't know. Yeah. All right. I'll say (laughs) olive oil. Um, Well, LA or Italy? Italy. (laughs) Is that where you, will you end up there? I think I may. Yeah. I wouldn't blame you. Thank you so much for coming in and talking about the book. I can't wait. I have already ordered my Atomic Horseradish. Oh, wow. Good yeah. for you. So exciting. Got turned on to so many things. And also kettle chips. Yes. yes. Salt and vinegar. Hurts. <laughs> it should hurt. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's a pleasure. This podcast has been brought to you by Carrie Polis, Emma Wurtzman, and Lily Sherman, with editing by Mitra Kaboli. Our theme music is by Valerie and the Grady's. 
We have new episodes every Wednesday. And if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Plus, we're also offering a deal with our podcast listeners. Go to bonappetit.com slash gift to see what we have. Thanks for listening.